so, so when I'm working with, uh, you know, athletes or whatever, um, a lot of them are very driven and we get, we tend to, you know, get obsessed about things. So it, we work a lot of time on taking time off and about, you know, um, distracting ourselves, but you just can't say to someone, take time off. You have to replace it with something. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I bake. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all new, all natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today has his PhD in computer-based optimization. But despite that, he's done a lot of other things that have nothing to do with that. And that's definitely what we're going to talk about. He's the author of three books, including The Happiness Handbook for High Achievers, which I had the fortune to get through. He's one of the top performance coaches, having worked with teams and groups ranging from the San Francisco 49ers to the U.S. Navy SEALs. Welcome to the show, Dr. Fergus Connolly. Jesse, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I've been looking thanks. forward to this for a few weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming back. Uh, you know, it, we're we're starting back up. We, we had a lot of pre-recording chatter because this is actually our second conversation as we had, we had a like a mismatch in time before we ended up talking for all like 40 minutes the last time we were on just not recorded just hanging out pretty much so th thanks for hanging out with me a second time i guess it is no it was a lot of fun the last time really 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 enjoyed it thank <laughs> thank you thank you for inviting me back yeah so sorry to the listener you missed on that conversation that'll, that'll just be uh between me and fergus and that's just how it goes sometimes i guess when you don't have the record button going um the, the first thing I've got to ask you uh, is uh, I was looking on your Instagram and what's up with the pies? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I guess one of the things that, so, so when I'm working with, you know, athletes or whatever, um, a lot of them are very driven and we get, we tend to, you know, get obsessed about things. So it, we work a lot of time on taking time off and about, you know, um, distracting ourselves, but you just can't say to someone, take time off. You have to replace it with something. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I bake and okay. I bake pies and I cook and I, that's my secret hobby. And, uh, yeah. And actually by all accounts, they're, they're not bad. They, they taste pretty good. I've, I've, uh, impressed myself actually. <laughs> that's good. So I, that, I think the last post you have, which is from like several months ago, is a pie. And I was like, did he did he do it? This is the mathematician in me. A pie day was this month, uh, the 14th of March. And I was like, did he post a pie for pie day? I was like, you're going to be my new best friend. But you, you let me down. It was from like, it was like, right. it was like three, right. four months ago. Yeah, actually. And actually, I don't eat them. I, I give them away. So um, I think that particular day I made, I made uh apple pie triple berry pie and then I, I moved on to a key lime pie and mm -hmm. um and i i give them away but i'm usually strategic i use them usually bring them to something so i get to taste them yeah but it stops me eating the whole the whole thing but yes that's something that i and i before anybody gets the wrong impression 
if you watched me that day, like between going to the supermarket and struggling to find stuff, saw my kitchen would flower everywhere. Um, yeah, it's it's a comedy in itself, but it's a wonderful way to relax, distract because I can't think of anything else. Like I can't start worrying about um, you know the relationship between emotion and uh, r- rationality or things like that. Mm-hmm. I have to focus on. You know, what's <laughs> looking at looking at ounces and grams, trying to figure them out, and what's a quart and on yeah. the phone. And so, yeah, it's a comedy of errors. I, I have trouble trying to figure out how to give things. So, I, I guess I say my like kitchen hobby is I, I make ice cream. So I've got an wow. ice cream machine, and that's kind of my my deal. And I have trouble. You wouldn't think that I would. I have trouble figuring out who to give ice cream away to. So I, like I would bring it to, we have family, we have a family dinner every Sunday, um, less so during COVID, but as my parents are starting to are vaccinated now, and basically everybody besides me and my family group is, is vaccinated because I'm on the lowest part of the totem pole for that, that line. Um, we, you know, we started to get back together, but it's like, that still means I can only make one batch a week. And it just depends on the week, whether, uh, you know, I, have the time or energy. Sometimes I'm like, I want to make multiple. And sometimes I'm like, I have no time. So I have trouble figuring out who to give it away to. I, I've, I've uh, suggested to my fiance, I said, well, I'll just like, I'll make some, I'll like give it to the neighbors. And she's like, no, that's weird. I'm like, what? Who doesn't like ice cream? Like, like, like I can't go to the neighbors and be like, here, I made some ice cream. Like, do you, do you want this? But like, like years, years ago, that's what what people used to you know is yeah make something bring it around to the neighbors and things like that and i also do like i mean i like trying to learn new things and yeah. so it's out of my comfort zone and uh yeah it, I, and i think it's good i think it's important to play around with things and to try different things because um you know and it, i'm sure i'm sure we'd move from cooking to to high performers and all of that yeah, we'll in a get minute. There. but 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 <laughs> but but one of the one of the things that's really interesting though is that you know elite performers or people who perform very well in a particular space they're just highly adapted to that particular context and mm-hmm. and event um they struggle then sometimes to and this was another conversation we were having off air about being humble or being humiliated and allowing themselves to be humi- and seeing value in that. Mm-hmm. So when you go and you bake or you do something that you're not good at, that's a good lesson for you. Like, you I mean, it's good. It's humbling. You can have fun. You can laugh at yourself, um, all of those things. And then you go back to what you're really, really good at. But particularly as you, you move along progressing in a particular field, it's good to go and do something else that, you know, you go do stand up, write poetry, try and paint, do, have, do something. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's value in in remembering what it's like to struggle and being comfortable that's, with it. That's it. That's yeah. And one of the things that I, I think we sometimes and, and don't get me started on the education system, but one of the challenges is, um, you know, early on schools in the education system, the role is not necessarily to teach you something. It's to teach you how to learn about that one thing and to continue to learn about it. And part of that is failure. Part of that is struggle. And that, like you said, going into this other space uh, where you're going to f- struggle and fail and embarrass yourself and laugh at yourself, that's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I always feel like it's it's an invaluable skill to have. Is, I mean, we talk about it in, like in running all the time, and I'm sure it comes up 
you know, in football and in pretty much any sport is like being comfortable, being uncomfortable. But there's, there's a certain degree of, like you said, like specified discomfort. Yes. Where you're, yeah. you're used to, like, you know, I'm used to going out and, and doing, uh, you know, runs that are hard and like how that feels and how uncomfortable that is. But it, even if you like, we don't even go outside of the realm of sports. You just take me in the gym and let's go like lift heavy. Like it's going to be a whole different realm of discomfort. I'll probably adapt quicker than somebody who's never lifted before, but it's still not the same realm. It's a different kind of burn. It's a different, you know, different actual muscles getting activated depending on what you're doing. So I feel like you should, you should like, yeah. Like, I mean, like I've coached over in sport, you should do me, see me do CrossFit. Like, I yeah. mean, it's the most humiliating thing <laughs> ever. Like, I mean, it's embarrassing. Like there's, you know, 23 year old girl beside me, like, I mean, hasn't broken sweat at the end of the, and I'm looking for a lung and a spleen somewhere, you know, yeah. coughed up two, two organs in the middle of it. And, but again, um, it's important. I, I think it's, it's important to go on those journeys from time to time. The one, the one caveat is like you said, when being uncomfortable or sorry, being comfortable, being uncomfortable branches into, um, you know, overuse or overtraining right. and it, you're just continuing to, uh, grease that single particular groove groove, then something's going to happen. And so the, the diversity and choosing other areas and to enjoy that. And again, to remind yourself of this is, the growth is in the struggle. The growth, yeah. the growth is in those difficult moments. I, you know, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but it, it seems to me like practicing that, if you want to think about where does it have practical value, so to speak, it's like, it's like practice for the uncomfortable parts of life. Like crap's mm-hmm. going to happen to all of us. It doesn't matter how, you know, where you're born to, to some degree, greater or lesser, bad things are going to happen at some point and you're going to have to deal with them. And, and getting used to being uncomfortable through a situation you're not familiar with, I think that's where that comes in, where it's like, it, this isn't just, just an exercise in futility. It actually has some, some practical nature. Yeah, and I, I know I've been guilty of it, and I think it's a, a common occurrence. I think that sometimes we feel that, you know, our life has a certain trajectory, and it reaches mm-hmm. a point where it plateaus, and it, things are comfortable then. I've got everything sorted. Like, I've got my job. I've, I'm married. I've got my job. So it's plain sailing. But it's not. Life will always have those ups and downs. And so for some reason, we're really comfortable struggling, failing at an early age, but we get to a certain point and we go, that's it. I shouldn't have to do this anymore. And we Mm -hmm. lose track of what it's like. And it can become incredibly, um, I don't know if this is uh, an American word, but discombobulating. I don't know if you've ever heard that word or disconcerting. Okay. So it becomes, I'm going to use this new word. It's new word for the day. I'm going to see how many times I can use it, but (laughs) it becomes discombobulating. Um, when you, when, when something happens that you have kind of forgotten how to, how to manage it. Um, and yeah, and, and there is humor is important in it as well, you know, to be able to laugh at yourself. Yeah. Sometimes you take yourselves just a little bit too seriously. Well, and that's, you know, I, I think, trying to think about the book um you know you talk about like happiness versus contentment it is the happiness handbook but 
Yeah, that was the yeah that was the twist right twist it, and twist in the tale was that this idea that you're in, entitled to be or supposed to be happy all the time right no you know happy happiness is fleeting but to find contentment that's I think the the more admirable aim well I, I think contentment is hard to find when you're you're stressed about expectations that things should be this like silky smooth road and it's like you know nothing that the thing I thought about when I got to that section is this interview um, uh, a long time ago from uh, this podcast called London Real. And oh, yeah. Yeah, it, with Peter Sage as a serial entrepreneur. And um, he said something about like uh, stress comes from the difference between how we expect life to be and how life actually is. Like yeah. it's, it's the gap between our expectations and reality that cause stress. So, you know, that's right. That's just, the, I come back to that when I, I read certain things, especially like the happiness handbook, when, you know, a lot of those ideas are presented in different ways by different people. It wrapped in different words, but the underlying ideas seem very similar um, in that expectation plays a role in it. The story we tell ourselves about who we are plays a role in it. Um, yeah, and the, I think the other factor that's, you know, when you talk about expectation as well, um, I think today more than ever, we allow others mm -hmm. um, outline what our expectations are, or we assume or uh, we inhabit the expectations of others or that others might either place upon us or place upon themselves mm -hmm. rather than recognizing, okay, what are my genuine expectations, realistic expectations? Mm -hmm. And you should have them, you know, that's not to say that you shouldn't, you know, strive to be better, but make sure that they're yours and that they're truly what you want in, in life. And yes, and, and recognize that and having that awareness ultimately of um, and being able to manage it. I, if I remember right, I think you you touch on this in the book too, talking about, uh, I think this specific example is like uh, getting a haircut or whatever and, and, you know, a stranger and an acquaintance and a family member yes, say something yeah. to you and being being more hung up on what the stranger is saying to you than your family member. I would argue none of what they say matters as long as you feel good about yourself. <laughs> well, yes, abso absolutely. Yeah. And, um, but it's amazing. And that, that actually was, that was from, from a colleague in, in, uh, in one of the special operations groups. And it, it stuck with me. Like, I mean, he was talking about basically how do you expect, you know, what, what, others expectations or other comments and how mm -hmm. easily we let them affect us and it's almost like um you know and i i look at today you know the, the younger generation growing up today not that we're too not that we're like the two old grumpy men on uh what was on the muppets I, i've you know? been old and grumpy since i was young so i mean that's not that's not but, an unfair characterization but the the younger generation coming through like i mean uh like we didn't have as much social media exposure and we didn't yeah. have, you know, so it was different. And you were around more real people. And when I, what I mean by real is that you saw people doing, you know, daily uh, in, in professions locally. You saw them in their entirety. You saw their strengths and their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. uh, if you exist, if your reality is all social media, well, then everybody's on a beach with a sports car and, you know, a tall blonde or whatever. Like, I mean, that's the, and they always have a good day. It yeah. doesn't work. That's not that's not reality. But yeah. 
it's, it's very easy to be really influenced by that over time. Well, and it, it, it's, it's such a double-edged sword where it's like, I largely try to stay off of social media, but as, I mean, as a brand owner, it's like, I need some kind of presence, which is in part why I, I like with the Instagram, I just, I hand that off to my assistant and I go over the things, she, you know, I, I approve the stuff that she, she posts, but I'm just like, I can't, I'm just not good at this. I'm just not like, if you want to like sitting down here with you, I do this all day, but yeah, there's just something that no, we, feels... we, we, we had a great conversation about this the, the last time as well. You yeah. Know about, just, yeah. I feel so plastic about it sometimes. And I just, it, it's hard for me to engage on that platform. I know people get lots of value from it. You know, my fiance gets a lot of value. She, she finds recipes, which she ends up feeding me. Like it, there, there's plenty of value there. I just have a hard time with it. Um, it's also why I prefer, you know, so if you're listening to this podcast, there is a video version on YouTube, youtube.com slash solpri. That's S-O-L-P-R-I. Um, I prefer the video versions of podcasts because I want to see the people talking that it just, I connect easier. Um, I understand it's not convenient to necessarily do the video version for everybody, but that's just how it works for me. If I'm, you know, packaging product to go out or whatever, I can put a podcast on and have it sitting there and I can watch the conversation. Something, something missing, you know, I, it's like, I mean, this is not probably unusual that you or anybody listening, but talking about social media is the highlight reel of everybody's lives and you mm-hmm. don't get to see all the bad things. And it's like, there are also people that only post the, the bad drama filled things. It seems like it's one extreme or the other. So I don't know, psychologically speaking, where the disconnect is. Is it because you hit publish and it's a, you know, a finalized piece of presentation of this is who I am and you're not as concerned with that in person or is it uh, you peeling back the layers of who somebody really is and you get to see behind the curtain? Because I think, especially when we talk about like political discourse online, I don't think you have people being quite so aggressive in person as you do when you're that's not great, sitting in front of that person, you know? Yeah, I, that, I, that, that, that's a great point as well. Yeah, yeah. So there seems like there's some kind of disconnect there. And I, I certainly am not an expert on what that is. I can't quite put my thumb on it, but it, it seems like there's something there. No, that's a really good point. There was a, um, a guy I was saying, you know, and or talking to a little while ago and, uh, he was he was a powerlifter, but his, his point was he said if if half the people on social media you know said in person what they tweeted or whatever you know the, there would be a lot of bloody noses yeah and you know yeah people can be particularly brave and outlandish in social media but I, again social media is valuable and it has added right. value and to a lot it's but it's like everything there are pros and cons to it and being yeah. able to think critically about its value, but just recognizing what it does for you and how you're going to choose to use it, I think is is the important thing. And one of the, the challenges I think with today's education system is teaching, well actually going back to what we we're speaking about earlier, but teaching failure, 
mm-hmm. teaching how to fail and how to recover from, but also teaching critical thinking. And uh, I saw a, a quote somewhere recently from, I think it was somebody uh, in, I think it was Sweden or Denmark, and they were asking, um, they were asking the the Swedish or the European politician, uh, were they not concerned about Russian disinformation on Twitter and on you know and and how that could influence their politics? And his comment was, he laughed and he said, no, he said because we trust the intelligence of our people and our education system. And I truly believe that that's at the core of developing good society is your mm-hmm. your the standard of your education system. Do you encourage critical thinking? Um, and it's not alone about the right to free speech. It's not. It's about, you know, free speech is wonderful, but if you don't have people who can engage and critically uh, interpret, hold two sides of an argument, uh, understand the other person's perspective and try and argue it and try and understand it, that's what critical thinking is. That's something that is a little bit more absent today than than I think uh, previously. I have several thoughts. Let's see if I can keep track of them all. Um, so this book's on my mind because it the 50, 59 Lessons book makes me think about this, which is Poor Charlie's Almanac uh, by Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's business yes, partner. Yeah. Um, it talks about in, in, in part of the book talks well in, in a large section these mental biases that we have and recognizing them and i think that's a large component of critical thinking it's not just about vetting your sources which is very important but also realizing that there are some innate tendencies we have that we that as humans I think comes through just thousands of years of this is how we've survived. And these are the mental shortcuts we've taken recognizing those things in yourself and saying, am I correct? Am I right? Why am I right? And having the ability to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. This is why that's the toughest part because the critical thinking to me is not just a matter of, well, I, I vetted this source and they seem legitimate. It's being able to be critical of yourself, admit when you are wrong and course correct from there. I think that part is so hard. It's like, it's much easier to just double down on whatever it is, you know, that you believe or think or have said, you're like, well, I said it. So I mean, that's, that's one of the commitment consistency biases. That's one of them where you've said it, you've committed to it. That's it. Like changing course is so difficult. And I think that comes a little bit like in, in personal strength. Well, so this is a, is another project I'm working on, but um, everything, everything ultimately starts with survival, even down to at a cellular level. The goal is simply to survive. As humans, are, our intention is to survive, ultimately thrive. We One of the core uh, factors in that is security. And when we are secure, we feel safe. And the reason for that is that it's le- incredibly uh, costly to be constantly on alert and trying to survive. So we, when we get moments of security, we can relax and it's almost it's like a dopamine addiction so when we find a secure place somebody who agrees with us or we find and that security we can relax for a moment and that's that's very addictive when somebody comes and presents an argument that is absolute adamant and secure 
there, there is a certain security mentally in that. Now, whether sometimes we switch off then because we're in this place of comfort and we don't challenge it, but we thrive on the security that it provides. And that is really at, at the basis of what you're saying is that it doesn't really matter necessarily what that point is. We forget to challenge ourselves. Mm -hmm. And even with the source itself, going beyond that, like, I mean, there are some incredible people have influenced me in my life and I'm so grateful to them, but I would still challenge their thoughts and perspectives. And I'll go, you know, is that right? And think it through and, uh, you know, ask the why question to yourself and, and enjoy that again. I keep coming back to enjoying it because if you don't and you don't see the benefit, then you just see it as a task. But yeah, like, I mean, taking perspectives and going, you know, that seems right, but is it? And I think um, our desire for security and absolutes sometimes compromises our ability to critically think. And then further on to your point, the ability to say, you know what, I've seen more better information. I've seen more evidence. I'm changing my view. And to be happy doing that. Mike Boyle, uh, coach in, in Boston, I remember him saying, he said, if somebody presents better evidence, I reserve the right to change my opinion. And that's the most beautiful thing in the world. That, that to me is intelligence and strength. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's prepared to change their opinion because they've seen something better. That's like how many people say that, like you said, you want to double down on something because it's that security. And they're all of a sudden going, Oh no, hang on. What, you know, no, this isn't real. I, I'm, I got to go back out into the, uh, you know, survival mode and yeah. insecurity. And that's what I, I think a lot of it comes down to, particularly as we get older. Well, I, you know, along the lines of uh, security, it's in part, I think that sense of security comes through a, a sense of self, right? Where it's like, if you believe something and it's a reflection on who you are as a person, and then you have evidence, strong evidence provided to, upset that idea then who are you anymore and that's a bigger like fear than simply i have to change my mind it's who am i what well, do Jesse, i believe? like that's it, it, you can yeah, get around even, real quickly yeah or even stretching a little bit further in the sense that that's who i think i am right you know and that's who i want to be right and all of a sudden hang on oh oh that, that, yeah that's uh that's worrisome because you know you've set an expectation and um, yeah, and we, we do thrive on formulas and we thrive on, thrive on simplicity, you know, clear black and white. The reality is the world is gray. There's very, very little black and white. You know, there's various shades of 50 shades of gray if you want, but there is, there's lots of shades of gray and we have to understand and navigate that and understand that nothing is certain. And I, I know in, in my career, you know, whether it's been coaching or anything else, the greatest learning for me has come and challenging everything even not you know public or challenging people but taking something and going something that's taken as an absolute and going is that right is that really right and where would it not work that's mm -hmm. that's learning um and the best coaches or the best people i've been around are those who have they have principles but a principle isn't a law you know, there are very few laws. Principles are, this is a general guideline that I believe to be true at this moment in time, but, you know, should in five years time, something come along, I'm going to change that principle, but they're principles and they have a certain amount of flexibility within them. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, um, uh, I don't know, there was a Tetlock study done years ago where, you know, they asked people to, um, 
you know, watch a number of political commentators and get their opinion on uh, which commentator they liked the most. What was interesting was all of the commentators who were adamant about the success of a particular uh, election were the most popular ones, even though a lot of them were wrong or they weren't quite accurate. But the fact that they were adamant, they provided security, direction, and clarity for people, they were more appealing rather than the other commentator who said, yeah, I'm not quite sure. And it looks a little bit like this, which was again, more truthful mm -hmm. and more accurate, but the person who was adamant, that's why, that's why very often, you know, sociopathic or narcissistic leaders are so appealing to people because they make it simple and clear black and white. I think, yeah, I think about that. Sometimes I think about uh, myself in this show and I wonder, or I think probably that's in part why maybe I'm not more popular because I'm not sure of anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you know the you know the joke. Like, I mean, the answer to every question is it depends, and particularly in coaching. Right, that sport. comes up all the time that, on the show. I'm like, well, it depends. You know, people. Well, when people ask me, like on the YouTube channel, I have a, I have a running show. People ask me questions. They say they'll ask me very absolute questions. You know, like, is this shoe good for me? I'm like, it depends. I, I can't feel your feet. I don't know what size you need. I don't know what other, like, it, it depends on all these factors. And sometimes they'll write, write back and say, well, here's the other things and we can kind of yes. go into it. But I, it's like, gosh, I'm trying to remember what, oh, it was, I, it was a nutrition question. And somebody said, I'm eating this before I run. Is this good? I'm like, what are your goals? How much are you <laughs> running? Like what? Yeah, yeah. I was like, all, all I could tell for sure was that, the amount they were eating was roughly equivalent to the amount they would burn when they ran. That's all I could tell from the information they gave me. I was like, I can't say whether that's good or not. It depends on what you're after. So <laughs> I, it, it, anyway, so that's something I think about where I'm like, maybe that's why more people don't want to listen to me. Cause I, I, I seem like I waffle on so many things, but I think it's a matter of, I feel more honest if I'm like, it depends because I think that's the reality of it. There's no, uh, we, we love hard and fast rules. Cause it's like, well, that, that's the answer. I can stop thinking there's security in that answer. There's no instability. But again, Jesse, it's understandable because if you look back at like the education system, yeah. it is largely based on rote learning. So there right. is an answer to the question. Right. So we've been conditioned to say, to believe there is an answer. Like there's, there's, you know, a black one. And that is basically down to recall and memory. And that's what's, that's the consequence of it. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to, you know, and, you know, as opposed to having a good, interesting debate. Like, I mean, when I was younger, uh, I did some debating at school and I used to hate initially, you know, there's always two sides of an argument. There's one that's good and there's one that you don't want to get. And when you get the one that you don't want to get, you, you know, you get annoyed and whatever, but yeah, you have to debate it. And slowly as it's coming close to the debate, you go, you know what? I'm actually enjoying this. I don't believe it necessarily, but I love the value of debating something. And now I've had to see it from, and all of a sudden you're going, you know what? Maybe this, there is a perspective because nothing is, is ever just black and white, like we say. And, um, but again, not all people are, you know, like you are truth seekers necessarily. There are people who just want solutions you know so right. they just want the solution without the understanding which is fine and there is a time it's like emergency medicine you know if you fall and break your leg you want a solution so you go straight to emergency medicine right. but if you want to learn how not to fall again and for it to cause then you got to go see you know by a mechanist or whatever that might be mm -hmm. it, or go on that route but there is a, certainly a time for it 
you know, there's a time when, yeah, absolutely. I just need an answer straight away. I'm going to come back and figure it out, but I'm urgent. I, I urgently need an answer to this. Yeah. And, uh, but again, it just, and it depends on different spheres. Cause of course there are some spheres of your, of your life that you um, don't necessarily want to know everything. For example, the electrical wiring in your kitchen, if you're doing a renovation, you don't right. necessarily want to go and learn everything, but the, you know, you want to get a solution for that. But then there are other things that you truly that are important to you that you should spend the time trying to explore and discover and uh, yeah, investigate. Thinking about critical thinking and, having the ability to say I'm wrong and the ability to explore a different viewpoint and going back to thinking about social media to try to tie this back into the happiness handbook. Um, we very common phrase, you know, you're the average of five people you spend time most time with. I think that happens a little bit in social media too, where we end up in these echo chambers and mm, we says the yeah. same thing. Um, and, and you touch on, you know, the, the various levels of social circles and the different, I'll say, types of people you characterize them as in the book. Um, but I wanted to know about your thoughts on should you and how do you go about changing your social circle? Yeah, I th so people have asked me this before and it's, it's really the very first stage is having self-awareness. So lots of different people talk about um, you know, having, when they, t they talk, for example, about, um, physical, mental, and social, I, I always start with, you know, physical, mental, and spiritual first and foremost, because people look to the social circle without first reflecting on themselves. And it starts with yourself. And the, the point is, how do these people impact my life? And are they impacting in a positive way or a negative way? And having understanding that awareness first. It's like somebody who goes into a relationship and says, oh, this person's going to make me better. They're, I need them. They're going to. No, whatever problems and issues you haven't addressed, you're going to bring those into the relationship. So it's first about reflecting and seeing the people who are actually um, being a positive source or positive light in your life. And then, and again, being open to other people as well that you meet and, and recognizing that this person has good qualities you know, I enjoy being around them. I learn from them. We have similar values and then spending more time with them. And people, we end up getting drawn to that. And sometimes you find people who, you know, we are influenced by the people that we spend time around, whether consciously or, or unconsciously, but mm -hmm. reflecting on it, you know, I spend time with this group of people. And, you know, when I come back to my family or whatever, uh, you know, I do, or I, I don't behave, you know, it, it filters through, it comes with me. Now, well, one example that this is, again, this is a, a very um, concrete example this, and might not be the best one, but one of my friends was, he would go uh, into rugby camp, say for 10 or 12 weeks with the team. And so they're largely in a hotel, playing games, traveling. When he would come back, he used to tell me that for the first two weeks, his wife used to, at the, uh, she got used to it. When he would come back, and he might have seen her a few times, all right. But when he would come back, spend time with the family, the very first thing she used to put on the kitchen table was a swear jar, because he had, you know, being around guys, he had just his language hadn't been great, and he would come back, and so for the first few weeks afterwards, he just had really poor language. He was swearing, yeah. and so she got used to. She would know. Listen, you come back, you spend time with these people, great people, but you picked up one bad habit, one or two bad habits, mm -hmm. you got to fix this, and that's just that's an example of how. 
and that's a, a really concrete, I guess, um, objective example of how subtly, you know, different environments influences and influence our behavior. Well, I, you know, I've talked about this with previous guests before, um, anywhere from, um, Chris, what is his last name? He's a police officer in Chula, with the Chula Vista PD um, to, I can't think else, but just the, the influence of social media and the news. I, I talked to my father about the news. I say, turn off the news. It's just like, you know, in, excuse the language. We're just talking about this. It's just, it, to me, it feels like a constant shitstorm of just bad things happening all over, like all the time. And it's like, well, yes, there's 7 billion people on the planet. There is always something bad happening. Mm-hmm. And like, if you allow that to be the news or social media or whatever, which we as people kind of feed on negative information, that's why it gets run. If you allow that to be the thing that's influencing you all the time, like you're probably not going to feel as well as if you like just take a break from that. And I, you know, I, I mentioned this to people and I get counter arguments about wanting to stay current, uh, you know, with what's going on in the world and all that kind of stuff. And I, I guess I, I understand, I understand, but I also feel like you don't have influence of, or basically any of it. There maybe are a few things that you do have influence over, but you're just not important enough to have influence over these things. (laughs) And so you're like, you're allowing those, those negative emotions, those negative influences to come and be a part of your social circle effectively affecting you, affecting your day when you get basically no positive benefit from it. And not that everything should be a strict, you know, everything has to affect me positively, but just, I, I think the amount of value you get from, the 24 hour news cycle is minuscule compared to the harm that's probably done. Yeah. Like I, I would love to, you know, I haven't looked at it, but I would, I would love to know what the percentage of not stories, but time is spent on positive and negative stories mm-hmm. on each of the different. Um, and the reality is today that, you know, the, there, there is a certain amount of voyeurism and we do, you know, get drawn to a scandal or a tragedy because we, we, we do want to see that. So there's that aspect. The other thing that's particularly important as well is, um, you know, and I'm going to throw a percentage out here, which I've just made up out of the top of my head, but I believe that 80% of people who go to vote, go to vote against someone, not for right. someone. Right. And I think that, and the, the reason for that is that we, that negative campaigning and yeah. that scandal is a far greater motivator. And again, I'm going to go back to survival and fear and that, but that somebody's presenting somebody else as a threat to your either financial security, your emotional security, your ego, whatever it might be. And that becomes the motivator that we live in. So the um, the world and the motivation, that the fear motivation that, that is used today is incredibly powerful. And it works. There's no doubt it works. Mm-hmm. But... I think that this could be legislated for, there's no doubt, you know, but it, it's, it's, I mean, on, it could it's, be, it, it could be, but again, then you come up against the freedom of speech and that, that, that as a concept, you know, is preserved. And that's what you have to live with. If we're going to have, you know, if freedom of speech is going to be a cornerstone, well, then you have to accept the consequences. Now the, the question comes, 
is there um you know freedom from responsibility then you know but it there has to be some way to to manage it because things have developed beyond you know when it was first written and what it was intended for so there has to be a certain amount of consequence or the it ha those consequences have to be enforced do you, do you want to rewrite the constitution this morning that, that... i mean <laughs> Well, we could get started. It might take us a while. Yeah. Um, no, no, but I, I, I think that's what it could, that's, I think it's being able to recognize why these things happen. I'm not saying they're good or bad, but this yeah. is the reality. You know, it, um, a lot of people do go to the polls to vote against someone else. And that comes from being motivated in fear. That's the reality. And, and people, that's what's being used. Is it good or bad? Who knows? That's the reality. That's what it is. Um, and so it's interesting because let's we'll do religion after we do politics but just so we cover all of the touchy top subjects but if you if you talk to people and you know the number of people say oh well i voted for this person and they followed up with a but because i didn't like the, i didn't you know what i mean uh, because i didn't like the other person or whatever like they they have to um reinforce it so it's just interesting that's that's what we are that's the way that uh our society is at the minute we we could probably go on this for a while, and we'll run out, we'll run out of time to, to, to talk about religion because we got both have things we got to get to. But um, uh, it's funny. So, sorry, growing growing up in Ireland, like you mean during the the troubles and whatever, like you mean you there were three things that you didn't talk necessarily about during the eighties. One was politics, which was obvious. Um, your political leanings would indicate what side of the fence that you religion absolute no no, and sport ironically was the other one because so like you know. Pro rugby was a big protestant or british sport and gaelic games were so yeah so i joke about you know those are the the three things that you try and avoid in any conversation and we've covered at least one of them i mean it's not unusual if you're talking to me that one of them's going to probably come up but I, I feel like i feel like in a lot of ways you can have a polite conversation about it if you understand how to accept that not everybody's going to see things the way you see them and that's fine like, oh, but that's the thing, right? Oh, and absolutely. And I love talking to people who have different perspectives on me because I learn and I understand why they think that way. And, and you know what, very often, a lot of them have really valid points. And I, and I, and that's why I love, that's why I love the term Reagan Democrat. Like, I love that term because it, it shows that, you know, at, at one point, a few generations ago, people were able to, to switch compromise and see mm -hmm. the benefit of other, like, and I think that's what, that's what's sorely missing now. It's just, you know, the growth of the extremism on either side. There's no middle ground and people, but when you've good, healthy debates about something, you hear someone's perspective. And I, I love that because it allows me to understand where people are coming from. And it, it, it allows me truly understand other people. And you need that. You need to, to be able to do that. So Fergus, we're, we're running short on time. So I have to, <laughs> I have to jump to the end. I, there uh, we, we missed out. There was a, um, I had a question I was going to get to you. There was a non sequitur, but we'll have to leave it for another time. But so I'm asking everybody the same question this year. Um, I have like a, a yearly question. My question for you as everybody this year is how do you stay motivated after you fail to reach a goal? Uh, I learned, I, I learned, I guess, a number of years ago that the, 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 beauty of failure and and actually seeing that as a positive i i it ju i just changed my mindset around it and when i fail or when i struggle i i've got used to now stopping myself getting annoyed 
and smiling and going, this is the growth moment and I have a choice which way I go. And so I've, I've got, I've got really good at it. I get worried actually when, if things are going really well, because then, you know, I'm going, okay, I'm not seeing where the failure is, but Mm -hmm. no, I, and I, you know, a lot of people I work with or coach, um, that's a, one of the key things that we work on is going good. Okay, this is good. Now, now we're gonna we're gonna really bounce back from that. And the the best people that I've worked with actually use that. And I'm not just saying this flippantly, but they do use it as a springboard. And that to watch is amazing. It's beautiful. Thanks for the answer, um, Fergus. If people want to grab your books, find you. Where can they do any of that? Uh, my website, fergusconley.com, is the easiest everything from there thanks for hanging out with me today i'll let you get on with your day and we'll maybe we'll chat another time making a a third third appearance (laughs) jesse thank you for having me humble honor thank you